Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling. Welcome and Happy New Year. This is the first time we're speaking in the year 2019. And if you don't know, you are listening to the Hustle Points NBA Show. I'm your news aggregation guide, Rudy St. Clair. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore Rudy, where you can tell me I clearly don't know basketball. And also, be sure to check out the link in the description to share your opinions on basketball in the Bucket Discord server. Now, we have a very exciting show for you today. Well, maybe not so much for you, uh, unless you care about how I feel so much that you empathize with me on such a level where you feel nearly the same emotion as me just from me talking to you through this show. Uh, but I am very excited today because Chandler Parsons and the Memphis Grizzlies have finally agreed to part ways. And oh man, am I so happy. As a Grizz fan, I've never been more pleased to be in a situation where we have nearly $50 million on the books over the next season and a half, and we're almost guaranteed to get absolutely no production out of it, unless unless we can trade Chandler Parsons for something valuable. With that salary of $24 million this season and about 24 and a half the next, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we have some versatility in terms of what types of assets we can acquire. We can take on longer, worse contracts for slightly better players. Uh, we can package in draft picks to maybe swap out some young talent. You really have a lot of options with this old max contract. Uh, max contracts now are much larger than they were in 2016, which was the year of the bad contract with that first salary cap big boom where everybody was getting money. It's a it's not the best situation for the Grizz to be in, but you know what situation is worse? Is having Chandler Parsons on the roster and expecting him to contribute. I mean, a lot, I feel like a lot of people don't know that Chandler Parsons started when the season began. He was in the starting lineup. Uh, I tweeted earlier this week that Chandler Parsons is the worst player in the league, and that might not exactly be true, but I, I need to crunch some numbers and do a little bit more research on this, but I would I would bet, I'm not a gambling man, but I would bet that per dollar, Chandler Parsons is the worst player in the NBA by a lot. Uh, he's only played 73 games for the Grizzlies. He's only averaged seven points a game for the Grizzlies. He's only made roughly one three per game for the Grizzlies. Truth be told, he he peaked right before we gave him this max contract. And while the Grizzlies are a small market team and need to take bigger risk in order to get ahead, I still think that a max contract for Chandler Parsons was not only a bad move, but it was a dumb move. I, I think that the market hadn't really given Chandler Parsons any competitive max contract-like offers, even at the time. I mean, he was good. Make no mistake, there was some upside. Uh, they said on the starters earlier this week, shout out to the starters, uh, that Chandler Parsons is good at one point, but he wasn't memorably good. They said that they don't even remember what he was good at, uh, which I think is funny. 
because he hasn't been good at all for the Grizzlies almost at any point because of those knees. I don't know if it's a singular knee or both knees or what, but Chandler Parsons' knee, at least one of them, has hindered him from having any level of success as a Grizzly. Uh, we gave him all that money. We wanted to be able to not necessarily build a roster around him, but really feature him in the offense at least to get us a stud at the wing position like we've been looking for since the entirety of the Grizzlies' existence. But Chandler Parsons is just not it, and it's time to move on. And you know who I think is a very good candidate for the Grizz to move on from Chandler Parsons with is Nick Batum of the Charlotte Hornets. Now, Nick Batum, definitely not even close to what he once was, at least not statistically. I don't know if he's just getting less opportunity in Charlotte or if he's just lost a lot of athleticism. I personally might have only watched part of one Charlotte game this season. Uh, what can I say? I, uh, I don't watch all 30 teams super proactively yet. I'm working on it. I'm, uh, I'm still balancing my NBA diet of games to feature the entire market of what the association has to offer me, but I'm not quite there yet. So not knowing too much about how Nick Batum has looked this season, uh, I can just look at his numbers and see that he has declined uh, significantly enough to be worth mentioning. Uh, his PER is only at 11.5, which is terrible, frankly. Uh, he's got about 9, 5, and 3 on 45, 39, and 86. That equals an effective field goal percentage of 54.7, which is pretty good. He's a pretty efficient scorer. Uh, even though he's taking three less shots per game this season in roughly about the same number of minutes as he's been getting in his time as a Hornet, uh, I want Nick Batum to be a Grizzly because he's been good historically and I feel like maybe Memphis can help revitalize his career just a little bit. I mean, we play nice and slow, so if he's lost some athleticism, that shouldn't really be too much of a factor. He's not going to be running back and forth on offense very much. He can save his energy, his legs, for using that lateral quickness that you need to have to be the switchable guy that Nick Batum is on defense. And the Grizzlies need all the help they can get because they have not won very many games lately. Uh, I think it's like 15 out of their last 20 they've lost. Let me double check that right quick. Ah, yes, that was not quite right. It's uh, We've won 6 of our last 20 and 8 of our last 25. Uh, so the Grizzlies have not been doing so hot ever since they started off looking pretty strong and like a, uh, a good veteran team like they are. But the West is tough. The West is tough. And uh, that's why we need to take advantage of Chandler Parsons and his contract uh, because he's a mole who does things like leak out stories about fights after losses on planes and uh, we just need to get rid of him. And so we are going to trade for Nick Batum and here's how we're going to do it in my imagination. Hopefully this can come into fruition or something similar, but I've done what I do best and gone into the trade machine and cooked up something special that creates a winning situation for everybody involved. It involves Charlotte and the Grizzlies, obviously, because we're doing Chandler Parsons for Nick Batum, which would work straight up. If uh, Jordan wanted to get off of Nick Batum's contract so badly that 
he just wanted to say, oh yeah, we'll take Chandler Parsons for one less year and we can swap out Frank Kaminsky for Jermichael Green or something like that. We could do that and it would work out just fine. But you and me, listener, we both know that's not how the association works. We like to make trades complicated. We like to swap second round picks to move around young assets so we can get under the luxury tax or something like that, whatever all that jibber-jabber all means. Uh, But we're going to get a third team involved in this trade, the king of jibber-jabber or NBA salary cap wizardry of draft pick mastery of uh, divine foresight in the analytical era. That is Daryl Morey and the Rockets. That's right, we got a Hornets-Grizzlies-Rockets trade going down. And it involves the Rockets receiving Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Willie Hernan Gomez. The Grizz receiving Nicholas Batum and maybe Frank Kaminsky. And the Hornets get Chandler Parsons, Brandon Knight, Carmelo Anthony. That's right, he's still on the Rockets roster. Uh, Probably to be cut, however, I will say, quick side note, quick little asterisk on the Mello name in the trade here. Uh, if anybody is going to believe that Mello has any juice left in him among owners in the league, it would be Michael Jordan. But still, Carmelo would probably be cut and really just be sort of a favor to the Rockets from the Hornets uh, to get them off of his salary. And then maybe also Jermichael Green could also go to the Hornets if the Grizz and the Hornets decide to swap Frank and Jermichael, just to kind of even the gap a little bit between the talent of Batum and Parsons. Uh, Batum's a better player, which is why the Grizzlies would want to make this trade. Uh, We need to get something out of Chandler, right? But the Rockets' role in this trade is closing that gap between Batum and Parsons, like Jermichael Green and Frank Kaminsky swapping could also do. Uh, The Rockets are willing to move draft picks to improve their team. And between these two teams, with what they can get back in Michael K. Gilchrist, MKG, and Willie Hernan Gomez, they can get some value and some spots on their team that mean productive players being on the roster, not just G-leaguers, not just people from the fringes of the league. They don't even have, like, a bunch of savvy veterans that are playing on minimum contracts. The Rockets need some help. James Harden needs some help. So that's what this trade does for them. They gain some switchability on defense and MKG, and uh, he's really going to be like the Luke Richard and Mute, but better this year, uh, plus a big man in Willie Hernan Gomez who can do damage in limited minutes when Capella's not on the floor. And the Hornets, again, might be happy to swap Frank Kaminsky for Jermichael Green depending on how everyone in that organization feels about the value of those two players. They're pretty similar in uh, in value, I would say. Uh, Frank's a little bit younger. He's still on his rookie deal. Uh, Jamichael, a little bit more experienced, but only a year or two older, I believe. And they serve slightly different roles, but Frank is a little bit longer, has a little bit more upside, but is a little bit less developed. Plays about half the minutes that Jamichael does this season, but... That's because our organization has put some faith in Jermichael, and he has proven us not so much super correct, but proven that he is an adequate NBA player who can be a serviceable role player on a good team. 
Uh, however, he is worth getting Chandler Parsons off this roster, especially if we can get Frank back, because Frank is a good player to take a flyer on. I mean, he could be a long defender and a stretch four or a stretch five, uh, which is a pretty good asset to pick up uh, in exchange for Chandler Parsons. And what the Rockets would be doing here is facilitating this trade with draft picks to close that gap. I hope they can do that, but we'll see. We'll see. There's lots of possibilities for Chandler Parsons to be traded this season. He might even just get bought out. Uh, but ultimately, I think this three-team trade that I've masterminded myself uh, would ultimately create a winning situation for all three teams. Plus, though, Grizzlies really need some depth on the wing position, which Nick Batum can help bring, uh, especially since we're fresh out of Brooks, with Dylan Brooks going down for the rest of the season with injury and surgery, and Marshawn Brooks being traded alongside Wayne Selden, who is good, and a couple of second-round picks for Justin Holiday of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, pretty good pickup for the Grizzlies. Give up a little bit of youth and a little bit of future with those draft picks uh, for a little bit of now. Uh, Got to salvage the season while we can, try to turn things around. Justin Holiday is a pretty good player. He's a little bit down on his three-point percentage this season, but in my opinion, that just means he's bound to bounce back, theoretically. But ultimately, the only way that trade could have worked out any better is if Chandler Parsons got included in it. And they have Jabari Parker, who is, like, the better version of Chandler Parsons, uh, except that he can actually score. And the talent gap there between Jabari and Parsons, or Chandy P, or Chandler the Handsome Man, or the formerly Handsome Man, uh, but now merely a rich man, uh, the talent gap there is even bigger between Jabari and him than it is between Chandy and Batum. Which means that the Bulls could get even more value out of this trade somehow, some way. Uh, I just hope that those hypothetical draft picks for this hypothetical trade, which may or may not ever happen, uh, which should have happened along with the holiday trade, if it were to ever happen, uh, I just think that the picks shouldn't come from Memphis. Memphis doesn't need to get rid of draft picks. They're pretty much maxed out on the amount of draft picks they can ship out for a while before they start to be draft pick less. And that is not a situation you want to be in when you're a small market team because when you're in a market like Memphis or, or Portland or Detroit, you got to build through the draft. You can't, you can't anticipate free agents coming to you. I mean, did anybody expect LeBron to go sign with the Pistons uh, when he entered free agency before eventually taking his talent to South Beach? Absolutely not. So small markets need to build through the draft, and the Grizzlies just have to be able to build through the draft, so they got to hang on to those picks. But we need to move on from the Grizzlies. I could talk Grizzlies all day. This is not a Grizzlies podcast. This is an NBA podcast. So let's talk about another team like Philadelphia, who is uh, really just one of those teams that I like to give attention because they're a fun team to watch. Uh, they have a somewhat unique style, similar to the Grizzlies in that it's different from the other 28 teams in the league in that it's not just a bunch of spread, pick, and roll, a bunch of five out. Uh, in Philly, they have the dribble handoff. So Philadelphia's kind of screwed the pooch on themselves uh, these past six months. I mean, Elton Brand has done a fairly good job so far, given the uh, the odd timing of his takeover. But trading for Jimmy Butler was a home run swing. 
and it's not proving yet to be a total home run, but anyone could have guessed that meshing those three big personalities, those three ball-dominant players together was going to take some time. Those three are not the most natural fit together. Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and Ben Simmons, of course. Uh, Elton Brand's really going to have to make a tough decision. I think it's either sign Jimmy Butler and trade Ben Simmons, or trade Jimmy before <laughs> the trade deadline, which would be ridiculous. I mean, you'd have to really get some value out of him to not only make the fan base happy, like the the guys who listen to the Rick and the true Philadelphia fans who were there through the process for getting rid of their 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 child, their their son of the process, Robert Covington, and Super Dario, who's just a cool dude. You're gonna have to get some real return if you decide to trade Jimmy Butler again. Maybe you re-sign Jimmy just to maintain his value and then flip it for something else, but you can't let Jimmy walk. That would be a ballsy move or a uh, a gutsy move if you don't want to uh, say balls. Ben Simmons is really the big question mark for me. I mean, he's somewhere between tall Rondo and Australian LeBron, but making him work alongside Joel Embiid was tricky enough, but making it work alongside him and Butler and Embiid is going to be like coaching on hard mode for Brett Brown. I mean, his game, until he shoots a three, quite frankly, I mean, maybe this upcoming summer he'll work on his shot for the first time ever and uh, maybe start to be a little bit more aggressive and engage more often, really max out his potential. That's when we can get the most out of Ben Simmons. But for now, in his current form, it's going to be hard to make him work along either Embiid or Butler, but both of them is going to be a real, real tough challenge. Um, so that's my two cents on Philly this week. Can anyone stop James Harden? Seriously, can anyone stop James Harden? At all? Like, I don't think there's a single person or a single team that can stop this man because he has systematically figured out the best and most efficient ways to score a basketball on an NBA court. Uh, and as a bona fide James Harden hater, which I have said multiple times on this podcast, I haven't totally been converted, per se, just because I haven't seen it work in the playoffs. But my doubt is feeling less and less confident. Can you confidently doubt something? Yeah, I can confidently doubt James Harden six months ago. But now, it seems like he's really entered that echelon or broken into the stratosphere of definite build-a-team-around-him type of talent. Like, he's that big of a star. Uh, not quite the supernova that Giannis is, but him and James Harden are leading the MVP race right now. The Bucks beat the Rockets and held James Harden. I'm saying held like that because there's air quotes around it, but that's how you have to express it in this audio medium. Uh, they held James Harden to 42 points on 30 shots with nine turnovers and one in a very exciting game where James Harden also got beamed in the face with a basketball coming from Giannis uh, to an invisible cutter. I think I'd like to think that he wasn't throwing it at his head on purpose, but man, it made for a very funny moment. 
Uh, but this game was very close, and frankly, if the Rockets had gotten a couple more bounces or made a few more free throws, people would be talking about how absolutely nobody can stop James Harden. But because the Bucks implemented a very specific strategy, shout out to Mike Budenholzer, front runner for Coach of the Year, for sure, they did this thing where they sort of tried to drive him to his offhand, his right hand more often, and it did definitely throw him off. But do you really think that forcing James Harden to his right is going to be the end of James Harden? Like, is holding the man to 42 points on 30 shots really all that spectacular? Do you think that Mike Budenholzer is in the film room with the team being like, good job, guys, we held him to 42? No. Now, obviously, it's more nuanced than that, but you just can't wrap your head around how good James Harden is. Uh, I think a big highlight from the NBA podcast realm these past couple weeks is I heard this beautiful comparison. I think it was on Lockdown NBA, but I'm not sure. I uh, couldn't hunt down the source earlier this week when I was looking for it. But someone made this beautiful comparison of James Harden is math rock. Uh, Bear with me. If you're unfamiliar with math rock, it's this very complex by design type of music where there's all sorts of different mixtures and blendings of time signatures and other nitty gritty detailed things that I'm not musically inclined enough to speak on. But the comparison really lies in how James Harden's game is so complex and nuanced and difficult to really bear if you're a casual fan, because it's sort of ugly. But if you understand the nuances of his game, and you see how detail-oriented he is, how dedicated he is to finding the loopholes and the rules that get him and his team the most points in order to win, uh, then you can appreciate his game at this sort of uppity and sophisticated level. This this comparison is uh, sort of snobby because it's basically saying that if you don't enjoy James Harden, then you clearly don't know basketball. But that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying, but I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying that I thought this analogy was fascinating and one of the more accurate descriptions of the appeal of James Harden that I've heard. You know, I've used the lexicon of a James Harden hater saying that he just draws a lot of free throws and or draws a lot of fouls and takes too many free throws. I mean, for the sake of winning, you can't take too many free throws. It's the most efficient shot in the game. But free throws just aren't entertaining unless you're just a total basketball nerd who starts enjoying free throws, rather ironically or otherwise. Um, but most people don't enjoy free throws. Uh, I sort of like to ironically embrace watching free throws, uh, it hasn't flipped into unironic appreciation of in- being entertained by free throws. I guess it's a good break in the action because NBA games are not quite super tense through and through, but they demand your attention for an extended period of time because action happens at such a fast pace. And that's what makes the game so great. So maybe free throws uh, sort of break up the greatness into nice little segments, but drifting away from James Harden here. James Harden, you just can't hate on him anymore. 
he just can't do it. It's unjustifiable. The man has carried this Houston Rockets team from out of the playoffs to home court advantage. And he's doing it without Chris Paul, without Trevor Ariza, who is way more important to that team than I say about half of the NBA media is giving credit for. I say, you know, you got like 20% of the people out there saying like, oh, he wasn't important at all. 30% saying like he was kind of important. But I think I'm in the majority who think that Trevor Ariza was super important to that team. Luke Quadron Bramute didn't really play in the playoffs, but throughout the regular season, he was important to keeping that lineup switchable, which is a why I think they should go get MKG and help facilitate the Grizzlies getting rid of Chandler Parsons. Um, it'd be I didn't realize the slight little drop of irony, if that's really what it is, of the Rockets helping the Grizzlies get rid of Chandler Parsons, considering that the Rockets just let Chandler walk uh, to the Grizzlies on that bad knee. Uh, so it would be appropriate for them to understand our grievances and to help us be free of Chandy P. James is on a tear, though. Um, he's still essentially unproven in the playoffs, but to his credit, he's ran into a lot of great defenses in the past, uh, something I uncovered in a little bit more digging into James Harden's history, if you will, that I've been doing lately, because he is probably the most interesting player in the league right now, because he's doing some things that we've never seen done before. Um, but the entertainment value is questionable. It's still questionable. Equally as questionable as if he can succeed in the playoffs. Because that's my thing with James Harden. The thing that's fueled my distaste for his game is that I could count on his style simply not adapting to playoff basketball. The refs aren't going to call the tit-for-tat calls like they are. They're going to let him play a little bit more. The defenses are going to be consistently more engaged. And the coaches are going to have a lot more time to sit in the film room and help the team create a defensive strategy to counter his tricks that you might not spend any time trying to develop an understanding of. If you must bump into James Harden on your way through the very busy NBA regular season. so. Still, questions about James Harden that need to be answered. Uh, time will tell. Looking forward to the second half of this season, and we will see if James Harden can succeed in the playoffs. And now, it is time for everybody's favorite closing segment in the NBA podcast game. Seven seconds or less. If you don't know, this is where I have 45 seconds to read and react to seven stories from the week, giving me roughly seven seconds or less to read and react to each story. So, without any further ado, here we go. Marcus Aldridge and the Spurs beat the Thunder in a double overtime thriller with questionable officiating and over 300 total points scored. Pop's team getting the team three-point percentage record is pretty ironic. The NBA is to investigate the Cavs signing and releasing of Pat McCaw. They're not going to lose their draft pick for finding a loophole. 
DeMarcus Cousins to start in his Warriors debut and return from injury. I guess DeMarcus Cousins is better than the David West role after all. Tatum admits that he trade himself for Anthony Davis. Danny Ainge has brainwashed Jason Tatum into player tanking and tampering. Clay goes off for 43 points on four dribbles. Uh, please keep this up and quit the contract to your hero ball. DeMar DeRozan has his first career triple-double on his old team Toronto. Uh, D-Rose is this season's best borderline all-star and Thibs got fired and he'll never coach again. Yeah, yeah, Tom Thibodeau. Um, good coach in his heyday. Uh, very influential coach. Really came up with a lot of important defensive schemes, uh, but those schemes don't work anymore. He was really influential for like five or six years, but then, then Stephen Curry happened and uh, made ice, ice, ice uh, a little bit less effective. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Hustle Points NBA show or the Hustle Points podcast. Uh, it's a new year. It's a, the year of... Uh, I think it's going to be a good year. I don't know what's the, what it's the year of, but it's it's going to be a good year for, for you. It's going to be a good year for me. It's going to be a good year for us. Uh, we, when I say we, I mean me, I have some big things coming up for this show. Uh, for any NBA nerd who loves a good story, look out for the upcoming episodes as I feature a very special guest. Uh, so keep an eye and an ear out for that. But until next time, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at NBA underscore Rudy, and join the Bucket Discord server. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Keep hustling. Keep hustling.